Welcome to the Geek Saga podcast series, Hot D Gives and Takes. This interlude series is a follow-up to Hot D Takes, our podcast series that covered the first season of HBO's House of the Dragon. Hi, I'm Tara Lynn of Geek Saga Entertainment, and welcome to Hot D Gives and takes. This interlude series is a follow-up to Hot D Takes, our podcast series that covered the first season of HBO's House of the Dragon. Hot D Gives and Takes will focus on the characters we loved, or maybe not, and lost in season one with myself, an avid reader of all things Ace Waff, and my friend and co-host Manny, a fan of the shows who is unsullied, aka has never read the books, as your stalwart hosts. So first things first, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at A Geek Saga. And I'm Manny, the aforementioned Unsullied co-host, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Manissimo Art. Thanks for joining us for our first episode in our interlude series, which will focus on none other than our king, Viserys I. As a reminder, expect spoilers from the entirety of Hot D Season 1, but if you haven't read the books, don't worry, there will be very minimal book spoilers from House of the Dragon source material, Fire and Blood. We'll start by highlighting some gives, aka the moments when we thought Viserys could have done better, or the writers could have done better with him, and then focus on what we believe were his hottest takes before concluding with an overall rating of the show's treatment of our king. Speaking of ratings, we have a rating system that we, like true Targaryens, fill in when and where we please, and that system includes rating things on a scale of 1 to 10 Targ eyebrows. If we actually remember to use it. If we remember to use it this time. <laughs> Last but not least, per our usual format, we are joined by a new guest for the show. Today we have Mo with us. Mo, where can everyone find you on social media, if anywhere? Hello, I'm Mo. Um, uh, if you wanted to find me on social media, uh, that'd be monstrous underscore Mo on Instagram. And can I sneak attack on Twitter? So sometimes it's just the occasional, you know, D&D and or A Song of Ice and Fire hot take or spoilers with no context has been my gimmick that everybody likes. So I just like screen crap a couple things that like don't make sense. And like, yeah, if you haven't seen the episode, it's just pictures. But like if you had, you're like, oh, yeah, that's how it works. So. Well, I promise just one last piece of business before we dig in. We hope that you'll check out the Geek Saga Entertainment Patreon. We have 10 tiers ranging from $1 a month to $40 a month. And I'm actually in the process of doing a minor revamp that includes adding some ice and fire con perks and more. As always, though, it will, of course, include early access to these Hot D Takes podcast episodes. You can check it out at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. And now it's time to delve into the Hot D Gives portion of our show. Ah, seriously, what gives, Hot D? Here are the most squicky, icky, or just meh Viserys moments. Right from the top, I just wanted to get this one out of the way, Viserys and Lena. And listen, we know it was necessary for the Viserys Corliss slash Targaryen Valerian drama, but ew. I wanted to know whether you guys thought Viserys was ever actually really considering this marriage. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say that he was just being cordial, like at the offer, like, you know, when someone gives you like something that you hate, you know what I'm saying? Like you just don't throw it back in their face. And especially like when it's their daughter and it's, you know, she's so young, that's like a big deal, you know? So it's like, wow, sure. I'll go take this walk with her and we'll talk. I'm going to say no, or maybe he was, you know what? I don't know. Maybe he was weighing out his options, but I really don't think that he would have been down for that. That's just my personal take on it. 
Yeah, no, I have to agree. I mean, in, in the ye old medieval fantasy context, it's like, yeah, sometimes it kind of, I mean, HBO always kind of goofs up the ages specifically for certain reasons. So, you know, they aged up Viserys and they aged down Lena. They probably amplified the ick factor of that because that's what they kind of wanted to do and it kind of makes sense. Um, initially, yeah, I don't think, I mean, he's the king. He has every option, not just, you know, his master of ship's daughter, but his hand's daughter, and probably any eligible lady of the realm. He could just go, I like you. Let's get married. And you can't quite say no to that because he's the king, our king. I'm on the same page. I don't think he was ever considering it fully. I think that there was probably a moment where he thought, ooh, I might have to do this because I don't want to piss off Corliss. But I don't think that ever came close to outweighing how he felt about how young she was because as cute and you know nice as she was on their little walk and whatnot she's young she's so young and you can see it i think in the way he looks he just looks so awkward about it and that's the thing too right because even when they had like young allison or even like rhaenyra i can see a king looking at those people and being like well i mean they look kind of older you know i guess for the kingdom i can do that but like this girl straight up looked like she was 10 years old. You know, like, I mean, this was like, bro, no, <laughs> no. I highly doubt she was super interested in it either, as kind as she was to him. But Mo, you brought up such a good point that I think people kind of have glossed over a lot is that he really should have had his pick. But whether it was because of his mourning over Emma or just because he was the king and couldn't really go gadding about meeting all the people the way he sent Rhaenyra to go meet all these suitors. He was kind of in this small circle, right? It's like when you're in high school and you and none of your friends have a car, so you're kind of relegated to dating people in your high school. And maybe you don't actually want any of those people, but hey, like one of them is nice to you and pays attention to you. In this case, that was Allison with him. So, well, that's who you end up with because it's better than the other person who's also nice to you, but maybe very immature. We'll put it that way. This is why I connect with this character so much. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like my high school times. <laughs> oh, me too, me too. <laughs> Date inside the circle always. To be yeah. honest, most of the people I dated in high school were kids I'd actually known at some point as far back as elementary school yep, or middle same. school, at least. So yep. I cannot relate because I went to an all boys Catholic high school. So the dating pool was very strange. to say yeah. So like we had the sister school that was like a couple miles down and that's so like they would always invite them, you know, kind of thing. So it's like it was either that or you just kind of effectively had to like fend for yourself and like there was no other way to like date people so it's still kind of like a similar thing though it's still that and again with Viserys here it's he's got a really small pool and mm. they're really pushing him to get married so it's like shoot I either have to agree to marry the 12 year old or well I guess my daughter's friend will do mm. <laughs> I don't know that he really thought through the fact that she was Renair's friend at all either so all he knew is that she was nice to him and to be fair that does matter when you're lonely yeah. and mourning and and then it kind of has to cut into play that we're talking about effectively medieval Europe is kind of what we're going with daughters were kind of the chess pieces the fathers got to use to marry them off to kind of elevate themselves so Corliss is doing that with Lena and then Otto is doing that kind of thing with Alice and he's just like you know be nice instead of kind of doing it more publicly like Corliss was kind of 
saying and would go for a walk. Otto was just like, why don't you wear your mother's dress? Because you look nice in it kind of thing. When you go meet the king because he's sad. So I think it's, again, you know, the women in the show, which is common in a lot of things, is that the women kind of get used by men. Yeah, and to close this bit out, I do think that it's important to note that this moment brought to you by the story as a whole, the necessity of the Lena offer being part of the actual history fire and blood but for the drama that they needed between Viserys and Corlys particularly. But since we touched on Allison a little bit, that carries us into this bit that I wanted to talk about from episode three, uh, second of his name, because this is a part where I was very frustrated with Viserys. When he was in his cups, I think it was the night before the hunt, and he starts whining yeah. to Allison about how he chose Renera as his heir, and you know now he's not sure if that was a good idea. And... He later did defend her, defend Rhaenyra and his choice of her as heir. So like we've said before in our coverage of that episode, yay, that Viserys defended Rhaenyra later. And also, okay, we get that Allison is his wife and he needs someone to vent to. But dude, maybe think about it a little bit before saying certain things to certain people. Thoughts on how Viserys handled that situation? Because it does seem that I don't think we ever actually saw him do that again complains specifically to Allison about Rhaenyra and his choice of her as heir. I think he was just being open and honest. Like he was just having um, undigested thought syndrome, you know, that we all have when we say a bunch of shit and then we stop and we're like, oh, you know what? That actually sounds kind of terrible, you know, and then you don't do it anymore. I feel like that might have been something that was going on there. Yeah. I mean, he drank too much wine and spilled his guts and God knows yeah. that I can relate to that. Oh, I <laughs> yeah. have done it. Gotten myself in trouble many o times. <laughs> I, I, I'll drink to that. Yeah, drink to that. Amen. But really, I, to be fair again, I don't think we ever saw him act like that again, where he kind of trash talk and it wasn't it, you know he was upset with Rhaenyra for obvious reasons she was ignoring all of the suitors he was throwing at her and she was kind of acting like a brat about the whole thing and not really understanding her role in all of this if she was going to become queen but again as bratty as she was being and as much as I'm sure Viserys needed to vent like there wasn't anybody else you could talk to like talk to your squire or something dude like talk to anybody who's not a direct line to good old Otto yeah exactly but you know what he never gave up on her he never She's said right. you know what he still backed her up until the end that's why she will always be my queen well, and from that same episode, too, by the way, this is kind of an aside, but I will forever argue that the scene where he had so much trouble killing the stag that they had to catch for him was so freaking hard to watch. I get the symbolism, but that does not make it better or easier. No. <laughs> I don't want to see it ever again. <laughs> no. Had he already cut his hand on the phone, which kind of started the health decline. Yeah, he already had, like, some of his fingers were black yeah. or something, Yeah. So I think that might have, again, symbolism, proper symbolism, yes. I think, if anything, it adds to the whole thing. As last time we had, like, Game of Thrones, we had a whole Targaryen thing, and everyone's like, we never saw this coming. There weren't enough hints about Danny in Season mm -hmm. 8. So perhaps they like, oh, with Episode 1, he cuts his hand. Episode 2, he struggles to kill a stag that's you know already kind of restrained kind of thing and just we kind of get to see that decline a lot more obvious than it is in the books and that you know might have been if like it was D, D again or something like that yeah and for sure it was definitely part of them telling that story 
it's still shocking to me, like looking back that as early as he had already injured himself to the point where some of his fingers are kind of rotting away and he's struggling to kill a beast that is just standing there in chains for him to. So he might've also been hungover at this point. So <laughs> I don't want to go hunting hungover. I don't want to go hunting really ever. So <laughs> I don't blame him for being a little bit clumsy with the, with the stab. It is kind of interesting, though, to like look at the position there, right? Because the show is using that symbolism to let you know that, yes, he is a weak king, right? And that he probably doesn't need to be on the throne. But that wasn't the takeaway I got from his character as the show progressed. I don't know if they did it on purpose. I'm going to say they did do it on purpose because the writers have been fucking amazing in this show where i'm like yeah i would have no doubt that they would have like thought that through where it's like this is like the natural it's very basic right for the people with just the lower iqs it's like look he's a bad king right like he's not a good king he's not a strong king or whatever but if you just follow the character all the way through the end it's like dude this is my fucking king like hands down just the way he handled shit the way he was i don't know man i can go on forever about this guy yeah i mean they say that he was handed a realm in peace and that his succession issues or the succession issues that came from his relationships kind of tore it apart. And that isn't entirely incorrect. But to say that he inherited a realm that was entirely at peace is also not fair and not true because there was already all the fighting on the stepstones and the great council alone where he was chosen as king is proof of the fact that the realm wasn't really at peace. They had the great council to just kind of cement their patriarchy. A phrase that I've said recently a lot that seems to come into play is second son syndrome. And that basically is the spare to the heir. It has all of the benefits of royalty, but none of the really responsibilities. And when there were, you know, 10 children of Jeteris and Allison, he was definitely lower on the list because everyone was expected to live and then most of them died or exiled or citadel, whatever. There was a lot of things that happened with all of it children that's another thing that kind of peeved me about the show was it was Viserys and Rhaenys but you also had like Laenor like they were completely going to skip but I think in the at least in World of Ice and Fire they mentioned just skipping Rhaenys entirely and going to Laenor Valarian because primogeniture like the grandson of the first son should outlast the son of the second son kind of thing and I think what is it was it Sarah Targaryen who ran away to be a courtesan some of her bastard children also showed up to make claims. Yeah. So, I mean, we only had like, what, a minute or two of seeing even Jaehaerys and the vote take place. I would have said, you know, if they had thought about it better in hindsight 2020, they weren't so worried about, say, second season. Great Council of 101 could have been an entire episode, and they could have gotten through all of that. We could kind of see him effectively with Viserys reluctantly takes the throne, because I'm pretty sure he was never expecting it. I don't think he was expecting it really. And I don't think he really wanted it all that much either. And we'll touch on that later because that is something I did want to talk about in more positive aspects of everything about Viserys. But I agree they could have spent more time on the Great Council and used that as a way to show Viserys not really being into this role that was given to him. As well as I don't know that they necessarily needed there to be more people vying for the throne. But I think showing a little bit more between him and Rainey's too would have given us a better picture of their relationship or lack of it and how she felt because throughout season one, Rainey's does not really seem all that hurt about not being queen. And 
in reality, she was a little bit, but I think they could have done a better job of showing that relationship because she could have been nasty to him. She could have hated him, but they made it more about Corliss and him, which yeah. was an interesting choice. I, I'm not like arguing with it or whatever. I do get why they did it because they wanted to tell a full story with season one because they were worried they wouldn't get a season two. But ugh, who knows? Moving on to episode four, King of the Narrow Sea. I was talking with Manny last night about <laughs> this episode. We were laying out some things we wanted to talk about. And what was it you typoed? I said it was the conversation with the curtains. And then I was like, or the drapes, whatever. <laughs> like, Or the tapestries. I, can't I was like, or yeah. what? You corrected yourself eventually and said tapestries yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's what it was. But... As Manny's saying these things to me, yeah, and, I type and, and, and in the I'm document. I'm at it. Yeah, I'm looking at it, and I see her type that, and I almost spit out like my drink. I was like, <laughs> so what I what I typed, by the way, is the curtains don't match the drapes. <laughs> AKA this thing that we're about to talk about is something that both Manny and I agreed seemed pretty out of character for Viserys. So that's what we're saying when we say the curtains don't match the drapes. Viserys' actions and words in this scene didn't really seem to match his character. And what we're discussing is about tapestries. And it's when Viserys is so rude about those damn tapestries when Allison is like... Hey, Damon, you want to go see the pretty tapestries we were gifted? Because poor Allison's just trying to be included. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I'm guilty of doing similar things to that in the past. Like I'll get a little wasted, you know, get a little drunk and then like say something stupid like that. So it was definitely out of character. I think he might've just started the, uh, the day drinking a little early that day, maybe, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But it definitely felt like, I think he was just having fun is what it was. And maybe he's a guy who just doesn't have fun regularly. So he doesn't know how to rein himself in when necessary. And I thought that it was like totally insulting to Allison and, you know, stuff like that. But I thought it was really sweet that Rhaenyra was like, oh, I'd like to see them just to kind of take the edge off. I think that you're right. Some of it was drinking again. Viserys, man. Maybe after this, he stopped drinking because he's seen some episodes three and four that seem just kind of man, you shouldn't have done that. You should know better. And then it, this seems out of character for him to be kind of rude to Allison about the tapestry thing. Yeah, maybe maybe he quit drinking after this, but yeah. it was very awkward. And I feel like even Allison's reaction to his words was, she seemed shocked that he said that, not necessarily because it was mean, but because again, I think she thought it was out of character too, because he has also been, as far as we have seen, very kind to her to this point even looking back i'm trying to figure out how it might have fit into his character development or anything and all it really did was serve to allow allison to have a moment with rhaenyra which is great but i still don't know that it was a totally necessary out of character thing that needed to be in there i agree i agree yeah the only reason I could think that they did that was, one, yeah, okay, day drinking, that doesn't surprise me. I also have to think, like, maybe at this point in the in the marriage, she also was, was like, yeah, like, maybe, oh, maybe she wasn't, you know, he didn't really marry for love. That wasn't a situation, so maybe he's just a little bit jaded about that. We also have to deal with Damon Targaryen, the rogue prince, this Matt Damon, as I heard his nickname. Yeah, um, Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Um, you know, this this embodiment of, you know, arrogant machismo. And while Viserys is effectively an indoor kid, be like very much like, hey, Damon, do you want to go look at... I, like, I don't think Damon even might even, like, aside from it being his brother, I don't think Damon cares about Viserys' stone diorama. Like, I don't think he'd care about tapestries. So 
you know, it might just be like just kind of brushing it off, like, no, he doesn't want to see the tapestries because like, he's Damon Targaryen. He's the coolest guy in the Seven Kingdoms. Like, looking at tapestries. Additionally, I know there was something that happened as as Alicent and the Greens faction moved in, was they got rid of, they were started replacing with more Seven imagery. So maybe it was like, you know, maybe Viserys did even like the tapestries because it doesn't have, what they call it, the, the Valyrian Sutra or something like that. Like all yeah. of the. Yeah. yeah, like, you know, I don't remember what they called it. It was like the Targa Sutra or the Valyria Sutra. Um, all of these, you know, beautiful Valyrians and dragons and these, you know, like sexual, you know. it's Yeah, it's that. Allison got new tapestries. Maybe he didn't even like them. So he could just be agreeing with, Damon, you wouldn't like these because they're not yeah. Valyrian kind of thing. Yeah, I do very much think that he knows that Damon is an outside kid and not super into wandering around museums type of thing. I also think maybe a little bit it was him uh, trying to show off for his brother. You know, his brother just kicked some major ass in the Stepstones and comes back, you know, exultant. And everybody's like, oh, Damon, look at this badass shit that he did. And Viserys is over here being Viserys, getting cut by the throne, fingers rotting away at the very <laughs> least, you know, got this meek little wife, you know, pretty, yes, highborn, but meek little wife, and Damon can do whatever the fuck he wants, and yeah, like, maybe some of it was just him showing off for his brother a bit, which still seems out of character for me, because there's things that we'll touch on later that he didn't like about Damon, and this kind of plays to the things he didn't like about Damon, so it's, again, still seems out of character, but I'll give him that, that maybe he was just trying to show off a little bit, too. So the last couple gives are a little bit more generic, but some things that we absolutely have to talk about, because they're probably the most frustrating bits of Viserys' character. First being... The entire situation with good old Otto. Like every time Viserys lent Otto his ear or listened to Otto's nonsense without clapping back, which he did, to be fair, he did clap back at Otto. I mean, as we know, he kicked him out of the small council for a bit there, but then he sent him away for good reason and brought him back. Brought him back. Bad decision. Oh, what a mess. Viserys seems to be a, a creature, a habit. So he's just like, okay, it's the devil you know kind of situation. Yeah, I'll bring him back. But I think he understood that. I mean, I'm hoping that he understood that Otto was... Like the part when he's talking about Rhaenyra marrying off and he points out child. And he's just like, Otto, he's two years old or whatever. <laughs> like, what the hell are you thinking? I don't know. Yeah, anytime he, he lent him his ear, man, it was just... I mean, I honestly, it's just... It's like a person who keeps running back to their ex. It's just because there's nobody around. You know, and they're just like, I just don't want to be alone, you know, and I don't want to have to like get a handle on someone else's personality. So it's like, I just want this one. It's going to be the easiest path for him. He wasn't that bad, you know? Exactly. Like, yeah, he was bad, but you know. Bad on occasion. I mean, we have to dig into Otto a little bit was his first few years, he was Hand of the King to Jaehaerys. And like, I think he was young then. I want to say maybe Viserys, because Viserys is effectively, I'm trying to think of the phrase, it's like, you don't want to upset anybody, you just want to be friends with everybody. So it could just be that, where he's just like, you know, like Otto's been doing this forever, and then he kicked him out. But then, when he had to kind of think of a new one, it's like, well, I mean, you know, he's weighing the options, like Otto has been Hand of the King for, you know, at least a couple decades at this point. And, you know, we're also still dealing with the fact of, like, Viserys is like the fifth Targaryen king. So, like, this concept of, like, 
finding a hand is a little bit new. And like, he didn't have a Ned Stark. He had Damon, but nobody wanted Damon. I don't even so, think he wanted Damon. No, he like, <laughs> no. Okay, no, that's the thing is he probably didn't even want Damon. But, like he had that as an option to use an heir or another person who might come to inherit kind of thing. But like, that comes with the thing of like, if you want to be everybody's friend, do you have a good friend that you can explicitly trust? And while that might not have been Otto, Otto was probably the next best thing. Oh, and I'm sure that Allison had a hand in it too. He was his wife after all. So I'm entirely certain that she's like, but my dad did fine and you could bring him yeah. back. I would like to have my dad back. Just a little bit of a hint here. Like yep. piggybacking on that is <laughs> Viserys being too tolerant and lenient with a lot of people and about a lot of things. And he does get firm once in a while. I mean, the time he was literally kicking Damon while he was down <laughs> for good reason. And this is something that was asked during the Patty Considine panel that I went to at the Game of Thrones convention in LA, where somebody said, do you, Patty, think that Viserys was too tolerant, too lenient? And the specific question, I believe, was focused more on Allison and their children. And Viserys kind of like, I mean... Yes, he was too tolerant and lenient about stuff with Allison, but with the kids, he was kind of, he didn't pay enough attention to them to be tolerant or lenient. They just existed and whatever. But Patty Constantine did specifically mention Rhaenyra. He said, yes, Viserys was really tolerant and lenient with too many people. That also includes Rhaenyra because she was being an asshole and he was putting up with it and the audience just cracked up about that for obvious reasons because everybody loves Rhaenyra right at this point but at the same time yes she absolutely was an asshole sometimes particularly when she was younger and after she found out she was heir and just kind of not playing to the role that she really needed to fill as I mentioned earlier it was interesting to hear that spoken out loud because I think that the discussion surrounding Viserys's tolerance and leniency with people often goes more toward Allison and Otto and even Damon. People rarely seem to mention Rhaenyra and it is true. He was kind of too tolerant and lenient with her as well. This is another check mark in the box of why me and the king are just why I connect with them so much because I do the same fucking thing, dude. And I always tell people I'm, I'm like extremely lenient. I'm extremely patient to a fault. That's the same kind of crap. It's like people will do stuff and they'll do stuff. And I'm just like, you know, I'm trying to keep the peace and just like, oh, you know, and then you just kind of like, and it really, it's just kind of people getting away with shit around you, you know? And yeah, man way too lenient but like i can't shit on him i have to look at myself in the mirror and then shit on him and be like because you're the same fucking way man <laughs> you know you have like... to reflect on your own decision <laughs> exactly. no one wants to do that exactly exactly too fucking lenient dude too lenient but he was firm when necessary he kicked the shit out of damon you know like he lost his shit and it was like okay cool that was cool to see too though you know because it was like yeah okay you're not just like a glass of water like there is a limit to your patients and you do have a boundary there which was cool to see i think he's probably the most lenient with veneer more than anybody because she is kind of the only thing he's got left of ama he loves allison i'm sure he loves rainier and he loves his kids and he loves his brother but like ama you know that's kind of what we got to get back into so mm-hmm. maybe that's the reason he was much more lenient with her and we we're dealing with the growing of his kids with allison 
but also his own kind of decline. So that might not be why he was as attentive with his children with Allison, because he had his own stuff to deal with, keeping the woman together and his own health and that kind of thing. I would actually say that while he was too lenient with Damon sometimes, I think he was the least lenient with Damon out of all the other people we've mentioned because how many times did he like kick him out? You know, yes, he didn't what send armies after him to go collect him when he did stupid shit or when he when he balked parts of Viserys' orders. But every time Damon fucked around, he did find mm-hmm. out. Viserys was like, get out, go away, go back to the veil. Well, okay, Damon didn't go back to the veil. But he also knew better than to come back to King's Landing, <laughs> at least for a yep. long while. <laughs> yep. Until yep. he could give it to the Driftwood Crown and be like, yep, see, like, now I can come back. And then they hug it out. And he's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I guess we can move into our Viserys hot takes. Yay! Obviously, we've padded what we've been saying so far with already quite a bit of positive stuff about Viserys, yeah. which I knew was going to have him. Hot take number one is from episode one, Heirs of the Dragon. And I put this in here knowing that it's going to probably be kind of controversial. But honestly, Viserys' choice to try to save the baby over Emma in episode one is, I think, something that Viserys gets a lot of flack for from fans. And to be honest, we even gave him quite a bit. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve some of it. Because, yes, he did not handle it well. He should have had a moment with his wife to tell her what was going on, what was happening at the very least. But instead, he just let them do it without any explanation to her. And her very visceral fear and how bloody really that scene was is what really sticks out in everybody's minds. For obvious reasons, it was horrific and so true to at least past life with women in childbirth that it's hard to really think about what Viserys' mindset was at that time. And again, obviously Emma's comfort and what happened to her is more important than his mindset. But because the focus always seems to be on goddamn Viserys, that was a shitty decision. Why'd you do that awful thing? I do think it's important to point out that he was told in no uncertain terms that maybe the baby could be saved, but no matter what, Emma would die. So rather than choose to lose them both, and by the way, she would have continued to suffer for hours, if not longer, he chanced being able to save his child. Again, he could have handled it better, but just going to repeat it, I think he gets a lot of flack from people who weren't paying much attention to the situation, which is why I wanted to put this in as a sort of positive thing, because he is conflicted with the choice he has to make. And I don't think it's about his obsession with an heir. I think it's about seeing his wife suffer, knowing that he might very likely lose the baby, his child as well. And he didn't handle it the right way, but I still don't think he deserves all the flack he gets for it. I think that he definitely, he got a lot of flack from it, but I think that nobody was thinking clearly after that scene. I know I certainly was not. That scene, I mean, it it was just... Mm -mm. couldn't do it you know i was like this is a lot yeah but you're absolutely right looking at it in hindsight right when i was like not thinking about the scene so much but thinking more of the situation i was like yeah she was gonna die regardless i wish they were like a little more humane about it like maybe they should have like nicked an artery or something and let her bleed out first and then chop her up but like 
I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if, if that is something that would have been viable. He had an impossible decision to make, but really it's not that impossible. There was really, you know, if they had a chance and they told him that there was a chance to save the baby, I think anybody would have made that choice under under those circumstances. I mean, Viserys was given a rock and a hard place. I have no children. I'm not married. So it's, it's a very crazy decision to think that's something like as a possible parent, you will have to possibly make, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. He probably did not handle it the best, but it was one of those things that, you know, again, the circumstances were just so serious that I don't think if he made any decision, the audience opinion would go in his favor. <laughs> it was all bad. It's just all bad. The book readers already kind of knew how it was going to go. But like, you know, it's like, oh, but, you know, I would have done You don't know how you're going to handle that situation. And Viserys didn't. And it just kind of, he had to make a decision and that's the one he made. And it still ended bad. So... Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to stuff that's maybe a little bit more positive, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Overall. Hot take number two, the prophecy. And every time Viserys talked about it, with the, the you know slight exception of the very end of his life where he clearly thought he was talking to Rhaenyra and was not, was talking to Allison and going on about it to her. But even then, his last desire was to remind Rhaenyra of her duty and of what the prophecy foretold and how important it was that a Targaryen be on the throne, et cetera, et cetera. But prior to that, at the end of episode one, when he reveals it to her, the whole scene was so well done. The writing, the acting, it was one of those things where book readers obviously had no idea this was coming. This isn't something we've ever heard before. But after it happened, I remember like sitting there for a couple minutes and the book reader part of me was like, what the fuck is this? But I also knew that Martin was heavily involved in the series, so I understood that this is not a decision that the writers made without his input. So after sitting on it for a couple minutes, I was like, you know what? I'm going to ignore this. Us book readers have never heard this before and focus on the fact that we are being given a really fucking cool tidbit of history that we have never known before via this show which really didn't happen as far as I can remember with Game of Thrones ever. And on top of that, again, everything about that scene, how they're standing with Balerion's skull and the candles and Viserys is telling this to his daughter who he has decided will be his heir. It's just, I don't know. I'm a little verklempt about it. The more I think about it, the more I'm just excited about how it happened, how it went, everything. And Viserys making that decision to tell Rhaenyra was great. And again, the acting was great. The writing in the scene was great. Our king, man. Yeah, dude. Hell yeah. I thought it was fantastic, you know, that whole scene. I'm not going to get into the into my own thought process about prophecies. I've already said it enough that I fucking hate them. But the way they did this scene was awesome. And yeah, like the dagger with like the fire and everything. And it's like got the writing on it. I mean... That was cool. The scene was awesome. The cinematography was great. The way it looked and the fact that he's telling Rhaenyra this. Yeah, dude. Hands down, like that scene was awesome. It was absolutely cool. We also have to remember, I think another fun thing was that Valerian, obviously it was Aegon's dragon. It was Mago's dragon, but it was also Viserys's dragon for a brief period of time. Um, and that's actually something that doesn't get brought up is that it's part of the reason the scales kind of tilted in Viserys's favor was, yeah, but he rode Valerian. 
and then Valerian died, and you know the world another dragon kind of thing. So, you know, it is drawing in the past, you know, this kind of like secret oral tradition. Again, we at book readers never knew this existed or was a thing. You know, yeah, prophecies are, Martin specifically tends to make prophecies just vague enough and just complicated enough that like they encompass too many things and they never go the way they're supposed to. You know, that's kind of what he's done with a lot of things, and that tends to be how it is. It was a very powerful scene. I do, I do think it was something that, again, book readers weren't expecting. It was a good, like, little tidbit of, like, deep lore that, you know, that's, like, deep in the, the lore iceberg that I don't think anybody was expecting to happen. I mean, that might just be something Martin has had in his back pocket for, mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, so long. He's like, let's just throw that in there. Like, hey, Ryan Condor, just do that. It'll be fun. It was really cool. <laughs> Since we mentioned like the cinematography, the setting, everything, obviously Polarian Skull, the candles, they had that setup. Obviously, not exactly because it wasn't the giant room and everything that they're in, but they had that full setup with the candles and everything at San Diego Comic Con this year as part of the House of the Dragon installation that was outside of the convention. So, like, anybody could go to it. It usually involved waiting in line for like six to eight hours or more, but it was super cool too to have that experience at comic-con and be like okay sure it's super cool to see Balerian skull i love this like the dark room with the candles around the skull and i mean this is great and then watching the episode and be like oh holy shit i was kind of there <laughs> but yes the setting for him telling her this the fact that it was with the dragon skull and also again him deciding to tell her this is his acceptance of her as heir and of his decision to make her his heir it's important to him it's important to his story it's important to her story it's important to the story as a whole and i loved it i think it also has to be a thing that like again the prophecy kind of always gets skewed that tends to be a common theme and we have to like look at it from a perspective of this is a prequel to game of thrones so then we also look at the kings between drance of dragons and like mad king and you have to notice like some Targaryen kings have made no effort of like giving a care about prophecies but then you have you know Ares the first and Aegon the fifth who will start digging into prophecies a lot more and Bloodwaven a little bit and then the Mad King goes pretty deep with it too and Rhaegar starts to dig into it so like the kings tell the heirs and then how they handle it is kind of just depends on the personality and then we also have to realize that like when the Mad King and Rhaegar died I don't think Viserys III or Danny knew this prophecy or Jon Snow Secret Targaryen definitely didn't know this as a prophecy, but it came true, kind of. It all connects a little Mm -hmm. bit. Yeah. I think really my end thought is it was just nice to see it come from Viserys because in Fire and Blood, he's not really given much at all, much thought, much discussion even. He's just kind of the, this is how the Dance of the Dragons happened. That's it. And... I've said this before, I believe in like our very first episode that Martin had done an interview where he admitted that he didn't like writing Viserys and that's why there's not really much about him. He didn't like him as a character, but they gave him so much in this season and Patty Constantine was so great with all of it that it changed Martin's opinion of the character that he created, which that in itself is like... I mean, yeah, it's got to give props to Patty about that, too, that he can, and the, and the writers of Hadid, be able to, like, change the whole author's own perception of the character. That's that's good on the writers, that's good on the actor, that they can do that. Now, hot take number three. We've already touched on this a little bit. Episode four, King of the Narrow Sea, at the end, after good old Otto 
plays his good old gossip auto card <laughs> and reveals, quote unquote, to Viserys that something happened between Rhaenyra and Damon. And Viserys finds Damon on the ground in the throne room, I think, right? Like he's just kind of like, I can't remember if he finds him on the ground or if Damon trips and falls or something, but they meet up in the throne room and Damon is on the ground or ends up on the ground and Viserys literally like kicks the poo out of him after hearing about this transgression. It's a violent side of Viserys that we hadn't seen before and never see again, but that's his girl. That's his daughter. And yes, obviously there's the whole she's the heir and she needs to be seen as pure and shit like this can't happen. And also what the fuck, Damon, that's your niece who's so much younger than you, etc. There's a million different things that go into why Viserys might have done this. However, this was not in the script either. Viserys kicking Damon while he's down and brandishing the knife at him was something that just happened in the moment. Wow, that's awesome. That makes that makes that scene even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honestly, because it's just like fresh, you know, it's raw. I love it. I think what he had going on there was just daddy bear syndrome. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I have a daughter and uh, I can tell you right now that I would not have been anywhere near as lenient as he was to like my brother if something happened. I'd have been like, oh, I'm going to gut you like a fish. I'm going to do it live on television is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Send a message. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I, I definitely felt like he was lenient in a sense, right? Because he was giving he was giving Damon a chance like to not just knife him because that's what I would have done, <laughs> honestly. Honestly, I, I can't even say like with certainty that part of it had to do with her being like because she's the heir or anything like that. I really feel like it was just like, a paternal instinct. Like you touched my fucking daughter. I'm pissed. I'm going to kick the poo out of you. You know, <laughs> like... Yeah. That's the way I saw it. And I mean, obviously, there's all sorts of incest with Targaryens, right? Yeah. But I think this is less about him being her uncle and more about the age difference. And well, and also just Damon's a bad boy, man. He's trouble. Yeah, he's trouble. But good trouble. (laughs) I mean, I just realized, like, Damon just left her there. That's another thing of just like, never mind that you're her uncle and you're a lot older than her. And, you know, bloodlines are muddied, to say the least. But, like, if, and he, like, you know that this is my daughter and the heir to the kingdom, and you're just going to leave an impressionable and pretty innocent young girl in a brothel and flea bottom? And it's like, no, you don't do it. Like, bad boy stuff aside, like, don't do that. I'm not a parent, but, like, I have a very few friends. Like, if that happened with me, my friend told me it had like, a situation happen. I'm like, man, like, where are they? I'll kick the butts right now and you know we're streaming that live at you know 10 p.m on hbo let's go (laughs) (laughs) i think that part of that may have to do with damon like understanding who rhaenyra was really quickly and yeah it wouldn't have like ditched her but i think there might have been a part of him where it's going to be like look you're going to get back home just fine or you're going to learn how to get back home i don't know i think that part of it was that he just kind of saw in her that she's not just some damsel in distress woman and he's just like she'll make it home just fine yeah meanwhile all Viserys is thinking is like you took my young daughter my heir out on the town among the ruffians and peasants so even if nothing physical happened between the two of them or had happened between the two of them there absolutely still would have been like that 
how dare you have taken like uncle taking like an underage nibbling out to a bar <laughs> to get drunk yeah. so all right hot take number four all of episode eight which is yep. called lord of the tides but really is just all about viserys it's his last episode obviously but leading up to this we've seen him deteriorating and at this point he is just the partial person physically for sure and in other ways probably as well and all he wants is for everybody to get along and he gets his happy family dinner i just the acting patty's acting if he doesn't get nominated for an emmy based on this episode's performance alone i will riot (laughs) agreed agreed i will be there also because yes absolutely the same i agree this whole scene was like it was just really touching you know like how happy he was and even when he looked over at auto and just kind of like nod, they nodded their head at each other like you know it was just like i don't know man it was a part of it that made me feel like a kid again like when i would go and like have you know back in the day and you know we had a really big family back then so it was like you know and all and it just that's what it made me think of you know and the kids are playing and i mean no one got gutted or anything but you know like and, and everyone's having a good time. And he just wanted just, you know what? I just want my family here. And I just want to hang out. I mean, it, it was touching. And like the condition that he was in was hard to look at. I don't know, man. It was a touching scene. And you're absolutely right. He needs to get an Emmy for that. Like, it was so fucking good. You know, it is Viserys' last episode for it to be about him. And it really is that way. Because we do have Raina and Damon showing up with, you know, new grandchildren. And they're named Viserys and Aegons. It's cute. Rhaenyra finally gets to ask for him to, like, you know, defend her in the situation, and he never sits the crown, the march to the crown, and the crown falls, and Damon helps him, and, like, you know, I remember hedging my bets, like, in a split second of, like, who's going to help him, you know, what's going to happen, is he going to fall, is, you know, like, the crown falls, right, so it's like, who's going to pick it up, right, was, I thought, like, was, we never, we didn't know what was going to happen, because it's like, you know, I think who, who picked it up was going to change everything, you know, so as the the way the the strands of fate and for it to be Damon to just help his older brother on the, on the throne and give it back to him, it was a check mark. And Damon's not so bad, you know. He's yeah. so bad, but he's, he's not so bad, you know. I felt it could have been a lot different. The opinion could have been drastically different if it was if it was Otto just hand helping the king, or if it was Renewa, or if it was Aegon. I would have loved it for it to be Aegon too, to like just step up and not be a, a shit. Or like you know, what if it was Chase? Or what if it was you know, it could have been anybody. And then it's that broken family comes together for a holiday kind of vibe. Or, you know, it's like, all right, well, this sick person in the family, this might be the last Christmas kind of situation. And, you know, they all get together and he has his, his happy moment with, with everybody. And then he leaves and it goes bad. <laughs> Everything in this episode, it re-cemented how sad his life really was. And, I mean, really, like the previous episode, when the kids have their little gang fight... Viserys doesn't, you know, he that's a point where he is too lenient, but in the end, for sure, he kind of tells Allison to stand the fuck down, thank God, you know, he does put his foot yeah. down about that, but coming from that to getting to see this, where you realize, like, yes, time has passed, but God, how much he had already been struggling, and now he's a shell of a person, and he is still doing his duty Really, he goes to sit on the throne and deal with 
the problem at hand because he realizes like I'm king and I got to deal with it. And his suffering is palpable. He really, it's not that he doesn't want to be there. It's that he really shouldn't be possibly like bordering on can't honestly, as we see him struggle to get to the throne and everything. Uh, At least he got a little bit of a rally with the dinner, you know, not, not just that he was happy, but he seemed better for a little while. And some of that, obviously, is probably because he was feeling good about life in that moment or in those moments at that dinner. But yep. the writing and the range of acting from Patty Considine in this episode was just – it's probably one of my top five episodes of TV ever if I just focus on how it made me feel and how well I thought the character who it was focused on did. Mm-hmm. And then at the very end, obviously, we lose him. And, of course, we all had to have seen it coming, right? Maybe not at the end of this episode. I think everybody expected it to happen in episode nine. But it it's, makes sense just because of the Game of Thrones. Like, episode nine's the biggest episode usually thing. But I think Viserys had to die first for there to be, like, a big sort of dramatic episode nine you know, yes, there was no yeah. lopping off of Ned's head or red wedding happening here, but for the drama and just whoa, what the fuck nonsense that happened in episode nine to happen, Viserys had to go first. And he at the very least got to go with his last real memories being seeing his whole family together and getting along for the most part. Yeah. And I can't remember where I I saw an interview or maybe Patty made a post because I follow him on Instagram with his death scene where he's got like the labored. It was funny because he was he actually mentioned how hard it was to like lay there and do like these takes where he's like having to breathe like this and he's just really thirsty all the time and it's it was rough on him. But Patty said that what he imagined was Viserys thinking about how he was finally going to Emma. Yes, he was going to get relief from his suffering, but really what he was focused on was that he was going to be with Emma in whatever sort of afterlife Targaryens uh, ascribe to. I, I don't know how much information there is on that, if anything at all, but knowing that Patty had this very specific idea of what was happening in his mind just it makes the scene play so well right he could have just been like bye forever but Mm -hmm. he really acted it and maybe in a way he didn't have to but it was great and you can feel it in his acting you know and the fact of like him like thinking about he was finally going to see emma i never fucking thought about that and then when when i go back and i watch the scene i'm like oh i can totally see it yeah i mean he added so much to it with just these little subtleties you know and i mean god bless him dude he really fucking brought his a game to this you know and uh yeah that was fucking great man i also have i'm a, i personally always like like special effects so i thought what they did with you know this effectively i don't know if they ever even say what it is it's effectively some kind of leprosy it seems like he has but like he comes in the gates you know looking effectively like a dog souls boss or you know some some mm-hmm. some enemy out of some enemy out of Elden Ring walking to the throne with this gold mask, which again, everything from game, you know, from the books, we didn't know he had this like, you know, they, they, 
you know, amped up the, the illness for sure. But this, you know, this golden mask, and he takes it off to show his family and understanding oh. the, the, yeah, it was, it was, it was icky. Yeah. But you know, the, the special effects they did with that and like the effects of CGI that they threw in there, which was like, like for a second, I didn't know. I'm like, how would they do that? Because I'm like, he's got an eyeball. They didn't take that out for the, for the bit. He's not that method. Daddy Gunstein is so married to his work that his he let his eyeball get poked out. Yeah, so I was like, for a second, like I was like, okay, like you know, special effects and CGI, like when you can find the right balance for that, I love that happening because usually it's either too much CGI and you can tell it's it's you know too much practical effects and doesn't you know it's powerful kind of thing. And I think all of you know was it was Paseo Sims and Patty's episode, but I think effectively he needed to die in episode eight to kind of flick the domino effect, the dominoes that then cause the Dance of the Dragons. Like, we can't have Dance with the Dragons or Dance of the Dragons until Faceos dies. So if, you know, episode nine is always the most dramatic, you can't have him there. Like, you know, they just had to place it either like the first minute of episode nine, the last minute of episode eight. Well, and just to like round out the conversation about the idea that Viserys was thinking of how he was going to kind of be with Emma again. And we talked about this, I believe in our, in episode 11 of Hot D Takes, where we did kind of our overall summary of the season. Patty had made a post again on Instagram where he kind of said that he believed that Viserys, from the moment Emma died, that colored everything that he did and that he never really wanted a cure for his illness he never really sought to get better to any sort of extreme extent because a he was so he felt so guilty about the choice that he'd made with emma and also b the end goal was always to just be with her again and i know that this is the actor's take on it but I think that because Patty had these ideas, had these takes on who Viserys was, why he did what he did, that's a huge part of why this character has stuck with us even after his death. And on that note, going to move on to hot takes five through seven, which are actually all from the Game of Thrones convention in a way. These hot takes. I'm lumping them together in a way because they all came from sitting in on Patty Considine's panel on Sunday of the Game of Thrones convention that happened back in December of last year. Oh my god, I can't believe it was last year already as we record this. (laughs) But number five is at that panel, someone asked him why he was a more absent father with Allison's kids. And Patty said, I'm paraphrasing this a little bit, Viserys was rotting away like more and more and imagine how self-conscious that made him the more parts that were falling off of him the more he was detached that's good and listen it's funny it's funny but also in a way it's not because he's literally saying that this man was so sick and self-conscious about how sick he was that he just he didn't want to be around people he couldn't think about being with his kids, spending time with them, whatever. Obviously, there were there was more to him being an absent father than that. But again, this just speaks to Patty's dedication 
to understanding how his character was. This wasn't an answer that he came up with on the fly. The joke part of it was, okay? The more parts falling off of him, the more he was detached. That was on the fly. It absolutely (laughs) was. You could tell. But the thought process as a whole was something that he went through. And the idea that we could watch this show, know that Viserys was an absent father with his three younger children which is a very sad and depressing thing and still cheer for him is like, well, like, what have you done to us? Yeah. <laughs> we also have like, I mean, absent fathers. Like we also like Bobby B. He was definitely an absent father. I don't know if he has redeeming qualities, but he's liked in the fan community situation. Then I, I get where the actor's coming from. That's the thing. It's like, I didn't know about Patty Considine as an actor other than like, he was a cop in hot fuzz. That's all I knew him from. So, like, he was in Peaky Blinders as well, but that was a very, very different character than Hot Fuzz, obviously, but also yeah. there. I think that, yes, Robert Baratheon, also absent father, gets a lot of love from fandom, but I mm. think a lot of the fandom love for Bobby B is tempered by, like, he was a gregarious guy. He was funny. Whereas Viserys in Fire and Blood, he was, again, he was passed over, so we never really thought much about him, I think, as readers. At least I certainly didn't. He was like, short bits of paragraphs here and there for a bit, and then he died and that was the more important thing, what happened after he died. But this made him into a tragic character. And it's kind of hard I think at least for me and clearly for a lot of people to not fall in love a bit with a well-written well-acted tragic character yep agreed I never thought about the rotting and rotting and how it made him self-conscious but you know putting myself in that position I probably would have done the same thing honestly so I can't shit on him for being an absent father it's like you can a little bit because like dude maybe baby gone wouldn't have turned out so bad if you did I think Baby Gon was kind of fucked regardless, honestly. I mean, I don't know, you know. I think I think if you're doing that shit, I don't think there's anything your parents could have done to help the situation. (laughs) You were just fucking a bad apple off the start. Maybe Aemon, hello, fellow young Targaryens, would have been such an (laughs) asshole. Yeah. That's kind of where again, Baby Gon. That's kind of where like the second son syndrome kicks in. Like he knew he was never going to be king. He didn't expect to be king because everyone said Rhaenyra was Theo. He was like, yeah, Rhaenyra's Theo. I'm going to do what I want. And what he wanted to do wasn't good at all. But like, who's going to stop him? Because he had all of the royalty perks and none of the royalty responsibilities. Well, for number six, we have the crown scene, which we have already touched on a couple times, actually. But there's a few things about this that I wanted to talk about. And again, this is when I say this comes from the Game of Thrones convention panel, it's because I learned things at that panel that I had no idea about. Maybe they hadn't ever been mentioned in interviews or whatever. First things first, and this is just kind of a a side note, but a very interesting thing, I think, is that Patty Considine actually messed up his hip because of how he walked as Viserys that last episode, particularly just the amount of time he spent kind of hunkered down limping around whatever he messed up his hip and last month this is literally last month at the convention he said it was his hip was still messed up from it that's some dedication again dedication yeah but more importantly the crown scene also not scripted i believe it so the first time they filmed it it was because of the makeup and the mask that he was wearing and the way he was walking as well, hunched over. It was hard to get the crown to stay on period. So the first time they filmed it, the crown fell off. And again, not scripted, Matt Damon 
came up and helped him to the throne, picked up the crown, and put it on his head after he sat down. And Patty Considine said that him and Matt Smith talked about it afterward, and they were both so set on making sure that it stayed in the episode Good. that he Good. made sure that crown fell off every single time they shot that scene. Nice. That's chemistry right there, man. Mm-hmm. That That's some yeah. good chemistry. Because that scene, I couldn't even imagine it without that scene happening, like in that episode. I mean, that was just yeah. so powerful and so good. I mentioned earlier how, like, when the crown fell, I'm like, who going to pick it up? Because the trees of opinion and, like, cool factor on who picks it up and helps into the throne would drastically change, you know, the fandom opinion of, of some of these characters. I think it's very cool maybe just because we have different showrunners or George is a bit more involved in it, that like the actors can play off the unscripted moments and be like, yeah, let's do that. Let's have some unscripted things and like, you know, see what happens with it. It humanizes Damon quite a bit, actually, for sure, at a time when it's needed to an extent. But it also portrays their relationship in a different light a little bit too, because we've seen them be frustrated with each other. We've seen them clearly care about each other, but this is the first time I think that you see what seems like a very natural brotherly relationship and interaction that you also didn't really expect based on everything that's come before. Yes, obviously the picking up of the crown and the helping Viserys to the throne and putting the crown on his head is more about Damon, maybe. But I still think that the fact that it started out as just literally a costume malfunction mm-hmm. and turned into one of the best scenes in the entire season. I mean, I would definitely place this in my top five scenes in the entire mm-hmm. season. That says a lot. Another check mark on why Patty should get the Emmy. Oh, this is a war drama function. Hey, we're putting this in. Yeah. No, we're yeah. making sure this is on script. The thing that's being put in, you know, <laughs> put in the scene. But as you said, like the brotherly thing, the initial parallel I had was like, I don't think Stannis would ever do that for Robert. I don't think Renly would do that for Robert. Fuck, you know? Renly sure as hell wouldn't. Because mm-hmm. Renly, honest, I don't think either. No. <laughs> yeah, I'm just imagining like kingly brothers to the king. Like, I'm just that's the first parallel I come with. And like, yeah, they wouldn't do that. But Damon would. Maybe he's not so bad after all, guys. Yeah. (laughs) I have to say this just because I am the guest on the podcast. As much as people love and hate and love to hate and hate to love Damon, I always get grounded by the fact that no matter what, guys, Damon's still a cop. You you can love Damon all you want, but the reason I'm like, oh, Damon's cool. I'm like, Damon's still a cop. ACAB absolutely includes Damon in the gold clips, guys. I'll yep. say it once, I'll say it again. That's what grounds <laughs> me. Anytime I'm like, Damon's the coolest guy, he's still a cop. He's not even a cool cop. He's not even one of the fun ones. No, he's an <laughs> asshole cop. On to number seven, this is a general, just whole of Viserys' character sort of thing. Viserys would have been happy not being king. And he did not abuse his power or privilege. Side note, that was actually part of why, at least in Patty's opinion, Viserys and Damon didn't get along very well. He did not like how Damon did consistently abuse his power and privilege. As much as we can say, oh, man, he was too tolerant. He was too lenient a lot of the time. He was an absent father. At the end of the day, I think a big part of why Viserys in House of the Dragon specifically won us over as viewers was because that came across that he felt that 
being king was his duty and he played it as such. And maybe it's, we say he seems too lenient and too tolerant. Maybe some of that, him seeming that way is because he did not abuse his power or privilege. And I guess here's the thing. What does that say about us or about anyone for feeling he was too tolerant or lenient to think, well, maybe we feel that way because he didn't abuse his power. Yep. That is really good. That's really fucking good. <laughs> I like that because you're right. He didn't. And the fact that like Damon was was so much the antithesis of what he was. Right. Because, yeah, he was out there and he was he was the ACAB doing ACAB shit. And like Saris would never have done that. And he would have definitely have been happy not, not to be king. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it's like, you know, hard times make hard men. Hard times make peaceful times. Peaceful times make peaceful men. Peaceful men make hard times. It's the cycle that we kind of get. Viserys is coming in. He's a peaceful man doing peaceful times, and the peaceful times become hard times. It's literally kind of how it all goes. This kind of cycle that tends to be through. I think, to an extent, this is a song of ice and fire. We're not used to nice people. Even nice people tend to be bad people. Yeah. You know, there's not we don't got too many of them. So Viserys wasn't abusing his power. He's a lenient king. It's like, well, that doesn't mean he was bad. I mean, he does have flaws, of course. We, we, we've mm-hmm. discussed those, but it's, it's all of that. And I think what was interesting was Viserys didn't have a title. We have Aegon the Conqueror. We have the Mad King. We have Aegon the Cool. But it was like, there wasn't one for Viserys in canon. It was just Viserys first. I thought it was nice. It was probably, you know, the king and jaded friend thing that Otto said it was Viserys the Peaceful. You know, I think he, he gave him that title. And that's kind of something we have now. I think it applies. And that's, the that's one good it. thing good old Otto did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Viserys the Peaceful. To be honest, even saying Viserys the Tolerant is like yeah. not the worst thing you can say about somebody. Lenient no. is, you know. Yeah. Uh, Viserys the Tolerant. <laughs> that's so good. But yeah, the fact that he would have been happy not being king, but was anyway colored his entire rule and i think that a lot of the a lot of the flack he got both from the people in his circle and his family members and from viewers fans etc is misplaced in a way it's something that just kind of dawned on me as we were talking about this what that we haven't rated anything on a scale of one to ten dark eyebrows (laughs) you're absolutely right we didn't even do that well that's okay we're gonna get to it right now Okay. On a scale of one to ten Targ eyebrows, what is our overall rating of the show's treatment of our king, of the performance by Patty Consign, of Viserys as a character? Can you average all of your feelings out into a number of one to ten Targ eyebrows? (laughs) It's a ten. It's a ten. Big surprise. Spoiler alert. It's a (laughs) ten. Hands down, 10 out of 10. I love Patty so much. His fucking character, the stuff he added to it, it's a 10. And honestly, it, it really is, it should be more than a 10, but I'm trying to play by the rules here. So 10 out of 10 Targ eyebrows. I have them everywhere. Targ eyebrows are everywhere on me. Okay, dude? <laughs> They're all filled in. <laughs> They're all filled in. It's Danny's eyebrows, not yeah. um, Sarah's <laughs> Exactly. Okay, so if I were to get a rating, I'm going to say eight eyebrows. I would do higher. If I'm just kind of recollecting, I, I honestly love Patty Considine's performance. I love what he did with it. I love that we got, like, deep lore from him. I love that we got to see this, like, the showrunners and the writers made more out of this 
just you know few paragraphs to like make him an actual proper king and you know flesh him out and that kind of thing but objectively i have to give him an eight because again he is meant to be the flick of the dominoes as much as i loved him i thought it was great and i loved the character and i love what you know all that all the things i've said it's not his saga it's not his story he starts it off. Yeah, he is the prequel to The Dance of the Dragons. And that's what, kind of what we're here for in Hot D. So, you know, if like the lore had him stick around for another season and a half, kind of, you know, another half a season, yeah, that'd be cool. Like maybe he'd go to a nine or a ten. But objectively, it's just, it's, it's not about him. It was about him for a lot of things. It definitely was about him for episode eight. But now it's Rhaenyra's and Damon's and Allison's and Otto's and all Aemon's time to shine. So I'm going to say eight. I can definitely see that opinion. See, because I'm looking at it in the sense that there was definitely going to be a season two, right? And like a season three. And you're absolutely right. I can definitely agree with that. If they thought that there was only going to be a season one and he was just like the domino effect there, then yeah, maybe they shouldn't have focused as much time on him. I can definitely see that. I'm going to give it a 9.77 okay. out of 10, Targ Eyebrows. <laughs> um, I know that's an odd number. Yes, I am in a way just trying to be kind of funny. But really, my thought process is Patty Constantine's performance, like 15 out of 10. The character development, what we saw of Viserys versus how little we got in the book is like a solid 10 out of 10. The writing and everything was so amazing but I think that's what drives it down a little bit. So really, like, if I actually average these things out, it would not be a 9.77. Because I give the writing and everything probably like an 8.5 out of 10 or something like that. So I think with the 15 out of 10 for the performance, I'm still like <laughs> over an average of yeah. 10. But yeah, to keep within the 1 to 10 scale, it's just some of the odd moments in the show that drive it down a little bit those mainly being the awkwardness of the curtains don't match the drapes <laughs> and i know i put this as a sort of positive but his decision to not tell emma what was happening when he made the decision to try to save the baby and obviously the whole thing with lena even though of course i know it needed to be part of the story but as a whole I watch a lot of TV and have seen some really great performances and maybe everything I am thinking is still just colored by how shocked I was that House of the Dragon was so good after how badly Game of Thrones ended. <laughs> and also, as Manny and I have discussed, Manny in particular, how covering a show on a weekly basis like that really makes you think a lot mm -hmm. harder about things and yes sure there's things you don't like but when it is well done the way house of the dragon was it's hard to not have that color your overall opinions of things i joke it's a 9.77 i would probably give it you know like a nine if i had to go with an even number but mm -hmm. i don't have to because this is my show and i can do what i want exactly exactly <laughs> Yeah, going back to like the show itself, I didn't really have plans on watching it at all. I was like, maybe I'll check it out or whatever. And I don't think I was as badly burned as everybody else was with like the last season or the last few seasons of Game of Thrones because I never read the books, you know? So to me, I'm like, well, whatever. Most shows kind of go bad or have like a weird ending and stuff. So it didn't hurt me as much as it did other people. But I, at that point, I was just kind of so done 
that when they did House of the Dragon, I was like, you know, maybe I'll check out the first episode. I don't know. And then when the opportunity came along to to be on the podcast, I was like, well, okay, now I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and watch it. I'll either semi enjoy it or I'll hate myself, and this will just be a chore for the next you know 13 weeks or however long it was, 12 weeks, you know. And I was like, well, let's just see, because I'm you know I'm not I'm not gonna drop out of anything. So I'm definitely was like, well, I'm gonna watch this one way or another now. And I'm telling you, man, shockingly surprised when I saw this. Like, I haven't been disconnected to a show or, like, really wanted to know what was going on, like, since, like, Battlestar Galactica. And anybody who knows me, like, Battlestar Galactica was one of the last shows that I'd watched that I was, like, it just stole my life. That was everything about that show. Mm -hmm. And with this, man, I was just, like, this is amazing. Like, to me, it was, like, when Game of Thrones came out, everybody was already reading the books and all this kind of stuff. And I was just kind of along, like, for the ride where I was, like, oh, okay, cool. When I got into this show, I was like, dude, this is the Game of Thrones I've been waiting for. Like this right here. I connected with the characters a lot more than I did with some of the other ones. I mean, you know, some of the other ones were cool. Like I was a fan of Jon Snow. I was a huge fan of Serio Pharrell, which they never brought back on the show because I was trained in martial arts and I was trained in sword fighting with a guy that looked just like him and acted just like him. So when I saw the scenes where he's training Arya, like I absolutely fell in love with the character because I was like, oh my God, this is my childhood. Like I'm Arya in these scenes, you know, like this is amazing. And he, he was gone after that. And uh, okay, whatever. You know, I was always hoping that he would make a comeback, but he never did. But you weren't alone in that. So <laughs> yeah, it was really, really disappointing. And I, you know, I, I think just moving on forward from that, I knew that there was going to be a lot of disappointment. And there was a lot of things that I really liked about Game of Thrones. And yeah, towards the end, things I just wasn't crazy about, not believable, but whatever. And when I watched House of the Dragon, like particularly like the writing style that they used, because I've mentioned this, you know, several times on the podcast where they don't spoon feed me anything. They know I'm not stupid. They make yep. me use my brain. And to me, that's what made it like, okay, brevity is the soul of wit here, right? They're not wasting my time at all. They don't have to show kids fighting in the arena. They just showed the kid and my brain already went there. And it's probably made it a lot worse than what they were going to show, right? When they went into the brothel, did they have to show a bunch of tits and dicks? No, they didn't. Because you already knew and you already know what's going on there. It's like you're not stupid. And I think that just makes every scene so much more poignant. Did there have to be a, a fight scene with Damon and the Crab Feeder? No. That's all flash and all like whatever. What they did was absolutely perfect. My brain finished the scene in my head. And that's what I loved about it is that it felt like I was actually reading a book, right? When you read a book, you kind of like envision things in your own mind and stuff like that. This is what it felt like. It didn't feel like stupid TV to me at all. And not that Game of Thrones was, but, you know, when it comes to House of Dragon, that's what it felt like. It felt like I was, I was just reading a book visually. Well, and it's know? funny that you say that, too, because, again, Game of Thrones is based on these extremely detailed novels whereas fire and blood is not that so what they pulled from fire and blood the whole section from viserys being crowned through the end of the dance of the dragons is like a third of the book at most and it's this one book is shorter i believe than it's shorter than i think dance of dragons and feast or curse for sure it might even be a shorter book than storm of swords but they took that and they have encompassed it so well that you're saying you felt like you were reading a book, which is amazing because you're right. That is how it feels. And part of that being that they took a character that is relegated to just some brief passages here and there, like even throughout the story of his reign, the actual details about Viserys are scant. Again, 
apparently because Martin has admitted he didn't like Viserys, didn't like writing him. But from that, we got this character who, I mean, shoot, like our free folk on Reddit, to subreddit for Game of Thrones nonsense, Song of Ice and Fire nonsense. And to be honest, I read our free folk a good bit back the first couple seasons of Game of Thrones. And then I backed away from it because there's a lot of assholes are free folk <laughs> but they have this whole thing like they call him busy t you know like he is like a <laughs> beloved character on yep. that subreddit and the thing is he's a beloved i don't think i've talked to literally anybody who doesn't like viserys yeah obviously like mo said he has flaws but that's the thing like they wrote a flawed character and they wrote him so well and he was portrayed so well that we are sitting here and obviously for the podcast version of this, our recording is edited down a bit, but we've been sitting here for an hour and 45 minutes talking about Viserys, mostly positive stuff. And to be honest, this is like the tip of an iceberg. Like we could probably do yeah. four episodes just about Viserys. Just about Viserys. Exactly. <laughs> and you know, and what's funny is, is like the thing I was going to point out earlier it kind of dawned on me that if we're sitting here doing this if king viserys was here he would kind of like bust into the door right now and stumble his way to the throne and be like why are you guys still discussing me i thought the matter was settled <laughs> like i'm a good character <laughs> either that or he would be like playing with his model of old valeria like god bless him i love legos too bro why are you talking about me i just want to sit here and play with my legos yeah it's probably the best a lot of us, I'm sure, also like kind of like were skeptical about where House of the Dragon was going to go. I know I was because just for the sake of like how much money they're going to spend on dragons, right? They got to spend a lot of money to like make a dragon happen, and there's a lot more dragons. So where does the money go if they need to spend a lot on dragons? But I mean, they can obviously maybe they made it up because they can reuse a lot of the same sets with the way that they at least did like Viserys. I think it does kind of show how things can keep going in a good positive way. At least in a, from a fandom opinion perspective of, and yeah, I'm I'm happy for season two and I enjoyed season one. Yeah, even though I imagine that when season two eventually comes out, God knows how long from now, yeah. there will be a lot of lamenting about how much we miss the Sarah. Yes. Like, listen, I know we had to die, obviously, but like, I will always miss that character. I will always miss Patty Considine's portrayal. I will also say this: meeting Patty Considine in person, wow, he is attractive. Like, look, I was look. not expecting. I've seen Hot Fuzz. I've seen some of Peaky Blinders. So I'm not all of it, but I've seen some of it. So I, I might have seen his character in Peaky Blinders, but like now he's just Viserys in my mind. So seeing him in person was like, oh. Look, dude. Yeah, look, I'm not, I'm, I don't even go in that direction, but I saw the picture with you with him and I was like, wow, he's like a good looking guy. I think he's yeah. in a, he even like has a band, like he plays guitar or yes, something he too. Does. I think. He's in a band. Of oh, course he does. Fun. Of course. What yeah. else would Patty be doing? You know, he's probably a car yeah. mechanic too and a good cook, you know, and he probably knows how to give back rubs really good also. All right. Well, as we close out the episode, just want to give a shout out to our Heroes Tier patron, Tommy of the TKOK Podcast Network. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you to Mo and to our listeners for joining us for Hot D Gives and Takes. For the most current news and updates about this series, please consider backing our Patreon at patreon.com slash geeksaga underscore entertainment. Or you could also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, like basically all the things at a geek saga. But yeah, seriously, 
please check out our Patreon because all of these Hot Tea Takes episodes always will be airing on Patreon before they go public. And now that the show is not live, it will probably be more than 24 hours as well. So there's that. So thank you guys so much for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Geek Saga podcast. If you like what you heard, please check out other Geek Saga entertainment endeavors, including the Sagas and Sass webcast and podcast and Ice and Fire Con.